0: Uh, Just last week out in New Mexico, a police officer was driving down the road and he noticed that a fellow officer had pulled someone over. And so as a courtesy, he pulled in behind to assist because you just never know. Well, when he pulled up behind the other cruiser, he noticed some irregularities. He noticed that there were flashers on the car, but no other distinguishing marks. It was just a regular car. And then when he got out and walked up, he, he, you know, the, the officer is up at the window writing a ticket but he wasn't in uniform, he was just in plain clothes. And he had a badge, but the badge seemed strange. It it seemed odd. Well, turns out it was a teenager who had purchased a fake badge on eBay, had somehow outfitted his own vehicle with flashers, and was pulling people over as a prank. Now, what that young man was doing, aside from breaking the law, he was impersonating authority. That's, that's the crime, that's why he went to jail. He was impersonating an officer, that's a big no-no. He was, the, the, this young man was assuming a position of power that he didn't actually possess, right? And when the real authority showed up on the scene, he was exposed as a fraud, right? Uh, joke was on him, in fact, and he's in jail right now being charged with a crime. Now, I'm sure that none of us in this room, you would never do anything that brash and irresponsible. I try to put myself in those shoes. I I don't think I could ever even attempt to do something so crazy. But as we look at James chapter 4 today, what we just read, James tells us that we actually do something quite like this all the time. You and I are guilty of impersonating authority, that when we sin, especially when, when James talks about the sin of pride, that we are assuming for ourselves a power, a position that belong exclusively to God. We are seeking to put ourselves on the throne of God. I'm claiming for myself, I'm grasping for an authority that I was never meant to possess. See, that's what pride is. And the problem with pride, even though, I mean, you could make the argument that basically all of sin springs forth from pride, but the problem with pride is that it's sneaky, and so often we're guilty of it, perhaps, but we don't see it. We're not aware of it, because it's so pervasive in our lives, we don't notice it at all, unless someone shows it to us. Okay? And that's what James is here to do today. You know, what we, we finished last week on a very powerful verse, and I want to bring it back up, because it's going to cover a lot of what we say today. It's in James chapter 4, verse 10. And that verse is a command and a promise. The command is, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and in the promise, and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Now, I'll be honest, I-, I bet most of us, we don't think of that as a terribly difficult command to obey because we generally think of ourselves as humble people already. When the Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, well, I, okay, I'm, I'm already humble. I think of myself as a very humble person. But James is, is especially good at getting below the surface and getting down to the roots. We've, if you've been with us through chapters 1, 2, and 3, you've seen it. James continually gets down into the roots of the issues, whether good or bad. And James is going to show us this. Well, Last week, we talked all about pride as a, as a sin deep down lodged in the heart. Now James is going to show us how it manifests, the application, or maybe uh, test cases about how the sneakiness of pride shows up in various experiences, various forms of, uh, of life and application, okay? So James is going to show us right here that pride is the exaltation of self, it's the desire for an authority, a position that we are never meant to possess, and therefore we need a humility that puts us in right relationship with God. All right. But it's not as easy as it sounds. And so he's going to give us some ways that, that, that pride will show up. Two very different examples, but they come from the same root. So look with me again at chapter 4, verse 11. Verse 11, James says, Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Uh, Sins of speech are very, very significant in the book of James. He talks about the issue of speech basically in every chapter. Right here, he kind of zeroes in on some specific sins like slander and gossip. I think that's basically what he has in mind here, slander and gossip. This means talking other people down whether to their face or what we tend to do most is behind their back. We speak in a judgmental way, and, and especially, James says, toward other Christians. Now, this is not new information. If we'd have taken a poll before church as to the right or wrong of slander and gossip, we'd have gotten a 100% response, right? We know that these things are wrong. But James brings a very interesting twist into the conversation. I'm sure you caught it. He says to speak against a brother or sister in Christ is to speak against the law of God. To judge them is to judge God's law. Now, when James speaks of the law here, he's probably zeroing in on the main point of the law. We're we're not, you know, there are 613, I think, commands in the Old Testament. We're not meant to try to parse out each individual one as to how they apply right here. I think we're meant to see the point of the law, and the point of the law is love. Love. That's what Paul says in in Galatians 5. He says, the entirety of the law can be summed up in one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus made a similar statement. It's the law of love. And so in this case, think about what James is, is saying. When a Christian speaks against someone, slander, gossip, judgment, we are violating the law of love. We are not loving our neighbor as we should. It's bad enough that I'm violating the person in that case, But I'm also violating God. James told us this earlier, that if you speak against a brother, you're speaking against God who made that person in his own image. And so we're violating the person, but also the law of God who created that person. But that's not all. He says even more, we now become judges of the law, not just breakers of the law, but judges over it. When I speak against you, James says, I no longer see myself as under the law of God. We're not under the same rules anymore. I'm somehow over the law of God. And that's what gives me authority to make that judgment. As if the law doesn't really apply to me. It still applies to everybody else, but not to me. Now, this is, a, this is really a major point that maybe we've never actually considered. I, I really hadn't considered this before in preparation for this message. But to break God's law of loving my neighbor is to place myself above that law. You see, it's one thing to fail to keep God's law. We all fail. Golly, we fail in many ways. James has already told us that. But to place myself in judgment over a fellow Christian, it's more than just breaking the law. It's a denial of the law's authority over me. As if I'm the one making the rules now, and I get to decide who's worthy and who's not. not. I don't have to love you. I don't have to serve you or encourage you or stand up for you or sacrifice for you. I'm allowed to tear you down because somehow the law of God has no jurisdiction over me. So now we can see, I hope, what James is saying. This is not just a matter of speech. And so often when I say things I ought not to say, I give myself an out. I say, oop, that just slipped out. I don't know where that came from. What James is trying to tell us, I think with crystal clarity is that, no, I have given myself an authority over you, and that's why I feel justified in putting you down and talking you down and standing in judgment over you. It's not just an issue of speech, it's an issue of pride. And James is quick to put this pride in its right perspective. You see it in verse 12. He reminds us, something we already ought to know, there is only one lawgiver and judge, capital L, capital J. Lawgiver and judge, the one God who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Y'all, only God has the right to judgment. Only God is sovereign and powerful as the creator of the universe. He's the only one powerful enough to truly give judgment. And he's the only one worthy enough. In his holiness and his righteousness, his character is perfect, therefore he is Powerful enough and worthy enough to actually judge in righteousness. He's the one who can save and destroy. Meaning only God can administer mercy or judgment according to his perfect will. That's his exclusive right. And so who am I to judge my neighbor? Y'all, gossip, slander, judgment. Those things are sinful in themselves. We all know that's true. But they come from a false assumption. James tells us, that I can stand above the law of love and I can make judgments that only God is allowed to make. Now, this does not mean that we can't make right judgments or shouldn't make right judgments. We're told throughout the scriptures to make right judgments. But to be judgmental, to be condescending, to be cutting, to be hurtful, to be hateful. See, this is the heart's way of saying, God's word does not apply to me. It still applies to y'all, but somehow not to me. All right. This is the sneakiness of pride. I think something just slipped out. James says, no, my heart, my heart is grasping for the throne because I want to sit where God sits and look down on everybody else. All right. You see how dangerous this can be? And see, this ought to deepen our understanding of the, the scripture I mentioned at the front end. Verse 10, the thing that we left off with last week Humble yourselves in the sight of God, right? And he will exalt you. Those aren't just nice religious words. True humility in the sight of God before God is the only thing that gives us grace to love other people. As long as there's pride in my heart, I will always justify gossip and slander and judgment. I will always seek a way to put myself above others. Only true humility in the sight of God exalts me without me having to exalt me. Let God do it. I need to be humble. I need to consider others as better than myself, Philippians 2 says. Humility. Now, I thought about stopping the sermon right here, uh, but we're not going to do that. Okay, that would, I don't, I don't want to cheat you out a good sermon this morning because uh, James changes subjects on us. He's about to give us an entirely different scenario here. And in my mind, of course, well, that's just it needs to be a different sermon. But I, then I realized it, he's actually talking about the same thing, just a different application. The root of pride is still the issue in the next part here. What we just saw is how our pride will produce harmful speech. But now we see how the same pride, the same sinful root of pride, uh, produces presumption, a presumptuous life. Look at verse 13. Come now, you who say... You know what's, what's interesting about this scenario is it doesn't seem harmful. It just seems like a regular, everyday kind of thing, right? It seems harmless. Somebody has an idea about how to go do business and, and make a profit. What's wrong with that? James is not against capitalism. Is he? He's not against going and doing and, and making something out of your life. No, y'all, the, the issue here is really not at all about traveling or business or profit. James is against presumption. This is a person who is assuming sovereignty for himself. He's assuming control. This is a person who thinks she has control over her life and her circumstances, so much so that we just speak in a very kind of cavalier way. I'll go where I want, when I want, I'll go do whatever I want, and it's all going to shake out in my favor. That's what I believe. But again, James puts this this pride in its perspective you see it in verse 14 he says yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow you're just a vapor that's here right now but then in a little while it will vanish away so in other words again this is something we all ought to know but th- th- there's not a person in this room that is sovereign that is that is all powerful and in control you're not sovereign over the world and the truth is you and I we're not even sovereign over our own lives no matter how much we wish that we could be. There's no guarantee that I'm going to be alive tomorrow. None. And there's no guarantee that I'm going to travel and go do business and make a profit, right? We don't control all the details of life. We don't even control most of them. And so James says, think about your life. And this is, very reflect- this is reflected throughout the, the, the whole Bible, that your life is a vapor that we're, we're told to number our days so that we might live wisely because we are here and then we are gone. Life is fragile and fleeting. You are not ultimately in control of much of anything at all. This is why in verse 15, James says, you are boasting in your arrogance if you think otherwise. And all such boasting is evil. Now, again, I struggle just practically. What's so evil about making a plan to go and do something, Well, Remember, the evil is not in the plan itself. The evil is in the presumption. It's the arrogance and boasting that is in my heart that I'm going to live practically, I'm going to walk my life out as if God's not really there at all. I hope he'll bless my plans, but I'm going and I'm doing what I want regardless. It's the evil motive that says, I exist for me, for myself, and I'll go do what I want, regardless of God's command or God's will. And see, again, James is showing us how we very subtly, without even realizing it, we may try to put ourselves in the place of God. We're impersonating authority that we're assuming. I'm assuming in this case, because of my presumptuous planning, I'm assuming a power, a position that I don't actually have, that does not belong to me. And so what's the solution? Well, James gives us one, actually very practically, verse 15. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live, and also do this or that. Now, y'all, I've been guilty of this, of saying if the Lord wills or Lord willing as if it's some sort of magic phrase that as long as I say out loud, Lord willing, then I can go do whatever I want now. I don't have to pray, I don't have to think, I don't have to be wise. <laughs> I just say, Lord willing, and then God is obligated to kind of pave the way for me. Right? That's not the point at all. It's not about, the, it's not a magic incantation. It's not witchcraft. Okay? What James is talking about is a disposition of the heart. This is a humble, submissive heart that says, I can't do anything unless God wills it so. Because that's, that's ultimately what is true, that's what the scripture testifies. And we live long enough and we'll hopefully figure it out for ourselves in in application in life that I, I won't draw another breath. My heart won't beat another time unless God wills it so. He upholds all things by the word of his power and therefore his will is supreme. And that's why I say, if the Lord wills, we'll go, we'll live and we'll go do this or that. See, the evil is not in the plan. James is certainly not telling us to stop planning Read through the book of Proverbs. It's all about wise planning, the necessity of wise planning. If you don't plan wisely, then you're a fool. We can't conclude that the the problem is in making plans. No, the point is that our plans should be prayerful plans. And not just praying and then going and doing what I wanted to anyway. As if I'm just covering the bases. No, we we ought to have plans in life that accord with what we see in the scripture. We ought to have plans that assume the supremacy of God in my life. And that's easier said than done, I know. But otherwise, we live in an arrogant and presumptuous way. God is there to bless my plans, but otherwise, I'm just going to do what I wanted to do anyway. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work if we want to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Y'all, you know, this is something Proverbs has been telling us for 3,000 years. One of the great Proverbs, you may have it memorized from childhood. Proverbs 16, 3. Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Isn't that a great promise? Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Or in other words, we could say, give your whole life to God. Commit your whole life to God up front, and he will make sure your plans are covered in grace. He will make sure to give you wisdom to make right plans, because you've committed yourself to him. Or we could say it like this. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Humble yourself in the sight of God. That means submit to his supreme power. Commit yourself to his will, and he will lift you up. He will give you the grace to make godly plans with your life. But it has to start with humility. Otherwise, pride will grasp, pride will reach, and try to take hold of the reins that only God can hold. Now, James closes this chapter with a very clear, very stern conclusion here. One that can stand alone on its own. And in fact, he says, therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin." Uh, that's kind of like a proverb. It's one of those things that, that seem, almost seems out of place, right? But James is actually giving us a bookend. This is a necessary bookend to the conversation. Because here's how I think most of us tend to view sin. Here's how we think about our sin. Sin is doing wrong things. Sin is knowing what is wrong, and yet we do it anyway. Right? Take our first example today. I know gossip and slander are wrong. I do them anyway. That's sin. And it is. That's absolutely right. But James broadens the definition here for us. You see what he says. Sin is not just doing the wrong thing. It is also neglecting the right thing. And that's what happens in the second example, the example of planning for our future. The right thing to do always is to prayerfully seek And obey and submit to the will of God. But in our pride, we neglect what is right and we go our own way. And this is how James shows us the depth of our pride problem it's so much deeper than we probably think it is. Because pride, pride not only does what is wrong, but pride also neglects what is right. We're guilty on all sides. And if I'm willing to see what James is showing me personally today, then I've got to realize that I don't have a leg to stand on here. It's not just that I've, that I've done the wrong thing, but I've neglected the right thing. And in that case, I've assumed for myself the position of God. I'm, I'm reaching for something that does not belong to me. So what do we do about it? How do we, how do we solve a problem this deep and this pervasive? <clears throat> Maybe you've seen, there's a, there's a great little comedy sketch it was on TV a few years ago. It had Bob Newhart in it, playing a psychiatrist. And he, uh, he's, he has a woman come into his office, and he, she sits down at his desk, and the psychiatrist says, okay, tell me your problem. And she starts to unload her problems. She starts to unload how she's got these crippling fears in her life. And then he stops her, and he says, okay, I'm going to give you two words here, and I want you to listen very carefully. These two words are going to solve all your problems. And she leans forward, and he says, stop it! And she says, what do you mean? He says, oh, this is what people always do. What do you mean? Stop it. That's the answer to everything. And she gives him another problem. He says, stop it. Just stop. And that's his answer for everything. All of her problems. Just stop. And y'all, that's, you know, we tend to think that we can approach sin just like that. I see in the Bible today, sin in my life. Oh my goodness, I better stop it. As if it's that easy. As if this issue in particular, the issue of pride, is just a surface issue that you can take a broom and sweep off the porch. But no, y'all, you can't just stop it. That's, that's not how sin operates. Sin gets lodged deep down into the heart, especially the issue of pride. Remember, if pride is so sneaky that we often don't even realize it's there, how deep must it be? How deeply lodged, how deeply believed and cherished must pride be in my heart if I don't even notice half the time that it's there? No, if it's a deep problem, and it is, then it's got to be solved deep down. It's got to be solved deep down. So when the Apostle Paul spoke about the issue of pride and our need to reject pride and selfish ambition very much in the spirit of James, Paul calls us to humility, but he gives us an insight here that I just had to share. This is from Philippians chapter 2, where Paul instructs us on how to live a truly humble life. Now listen to this, one of the deepest scriptures in the Bible Philippians 2 5. Paul says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or taken advantage of, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Um, Jesus is in very nature God. He's not something like God. He's not a creation of God. He is God. And yet he did not regard equality with God a thing to be held onto, to, ta- to be taken advantage of, to be used for his own benefit. But he emptied himself Became like a slave and humbled himself to the point of death. Y'all, hear, think about this. Jesus is the only person who has ever lived who had no need for humility. A perfect man in every respect. No sins, no faults, no failures, no need to be humble because he is God. And God has no reason to be humble. But what has Christ chosen to do? What did Paul just show us? He emptied himself. He made himself a bondservant, which is the word for slave. And having become like us, having become a man, Jesus humbled himself. He was not humbled by someone else. As James humbles us today, as the Spirit of God humbles us today, he chose to humble himself by taking up a cross and dying on our behalf. This is unbelievable. The God of the Universe humbled himself. Why? This is, by the way, in, the, in, in religious philosophy, this is a shameful thing to talk about. No God would ever humble himself. No God would ever suffer humiliation. What, what for? To save us that's what 's for to save. Prideful people like us. And you'll, you'll see, this is the gospel. This is the good news that turns everything inside out. That what James has been telling us, that in our sin, we exalt the self. We are into self-exaltation. The rules don't apply to me. I can be sovereign over my own life because I want God's position. I want God's authority. I want to be master of my own life and of the world. See, that's what pride amounts to. But then comes Jesus, who rightfully has all sovereignty, power, control, and authority. He didn't have to reach for it. He didn't have to desire it. It was already his. And yet he comes to us in a manger, a feeding trough. And later on, he spreads out his hands and his feet to be nailed down on a criminal's cross. For us, how how do you and I become truly humble people? Not by being told, not by looking at the pride in our hearts and saying, Gosh, I better stop it. No, it's a deep down problem that requires a deep down solution. And the only way a person deep in our hearts can truly become humble, the way the Bible calls us to be humble, is that we look intently upon Jesus Christ. Intently, consistency, consistently, humbly, we look to Jesus Christ who humbled himself in order to save us. The thing he was not obligated to do, he had no reason to do it, and yet he chose to do it for you. How can pride get rooted out of the deep places of the human heart? Only when we see what the gospel shows us And here's what the gospel says, the good news. Here's the good news. It says that we are so bad. You and I are so lost and without hope that only the death of God's own son could save us. You and I are so far gone that only a perfect sacrifice would do. And yet at the same time, we are so loved and treasured that Jesus gladly died for you. That he didn't have to be humbled by an outsider. He chose to humble himself, knowing that that would be our salvation. He gladly died to make you his own. C.S. Lewis said, the Son of God became a man so that men could become sons of God. There is nothing more joyfully humbling than that. And if looking to Christ on the cross, if looking to his humility, which he chose, if that doesn't create humility in my heart, then I'm not really looking. I don't think my sin is all that bad. I don't think Jesus is all that great. And the gospel tells us a different story. If we realize how deep the roots are, then we realize that only God himself could provide a solution. Only God could get down that deep, and he has. By coming down for us, by humbling himself, That he might now exalt you by his grace. If you will look to Christ, always, not just once and then we move on, but always, forever, every moment, every day, we look to Christ, we consider Christ, we fix our eyes, Hebrews says, on Christ, then pride gets melted down and humility takes root because he humbled himself when he didn't have to to make you a child of God. Let's pray. Lord, this is a, a very, very um, needed word in my own heart this morning. And I trust that it's, we all need it. Lord, forgive us of, of lowering the bar of humility to think that we're all doing just fine. I'm, I'm, I'm very humble in my own estimation. And Lord, I just thank you that your word exposes that it goes very, very deep, much deeper than I think that I am, I am content to make my plans without you and hope you just bless them after the fact, that I, I, I see very little issue in, in gossip as long as nobody really finds out. Um, I'm a prideful person. And so, Lord, I, I pray that the, the grace of your forgiveness and your cleansing mercy for me and for us, for Harvest Church this morning, that if we're, if we're willing to be honest with our own hearts, that we know we fall woefully short and we need the grace of Jesus Christ to forgive. Lord, thank you that you have not withheld your son, but you delivered him up for us all so that that grace is right here, present, available, and free. Lord, Make us certain this morning that we have nothing to earn from You. We receive it. But Lord, call us into newness of life. Call us into true humility to look to Jesus and, like Paul said, to have this attitude in ourselves which was also in Christ. That, Father, we would recognize our deep need for You, that we would come to You in in humility with open hands, and, and Father, that we would forsake the pride um, that, that causes us to, to boast in our arrogance, that we would forsake the pride that, that makes us to see ourselves as above others. Um, show us, Lord, that, that, that humility um, not only brings us to receive Christ, but makes us like Christ. And let that be our heart, our driving um, conviction this morning. Father, we, we, we reflect on what James says. There is only one lawgiver and judge, only one who is able to save and to destroy. Lord, thank you this morning that in your Son, Jesus Christ, your heart is to save us. And not to bring destruction which our sins have deserved, but to save. And Lord, do this saving work, I pray for us this morning. And lead us in your way, the way of humility. Make us like Jesus, we pray, as we look to him and trust. Amen. Amen.